Welcome to this episode of CEO Perspectives, a signature series by the Conference Board. CEO Perspectives are conversations that take an objective, nonpartisan look at a range of subjects that matter most to business leaders. I'm Steve Odlin from the Conference Board and the host of this podcast series. And in today's conversation, we're continuing our series on the generations, discussing how different generations and their unique perspectives can impact the workforce and the workplace. How are generations similar? How are they different? And what should business leaders consider when working with these vastly broad groups of employees? You are listening to CEO Perspectives, a podcast by the Conference Board. Joining me today is Rebecca Ray, the leader of our Human Capital Center here at the Conference Board. Rebecca, welcome. Well, thank you. I'm just so pleased to be here talking about a topic I'm fascinated by. Yeah, and for our listeners, you know, we we have uh, released the recordings of six separate conversations, one each with the generations, beginning with the silent generation and concluding with Generation Alpha, the newest generation. And so those six conversations are out there for people to listen to, as you have. You've listened to each one of them, covering the generations from the silent generation to baby boomers to Gen X, millennials, Gen Z, and then Gen Alpha. So just, uh, you know, why don't we start by, you know, talking about some of your observations of these recordings? Well, first of all, I truly enjoyed the series. And well, I was struck by the very personal stories that that stood for perhaps a snapshot of at least a, a core experience in each generation. And the ability to do that in a succinct way was, was really terrific. I, I was struck by how many things are uh, themes that ran through all the generations and how many of the themes seem to skip a couple generations and show up again. I was also struck by, you know, people's comments around the way their generation may tend to look at other generations. And usually it's not a flattering uh, description, but you know, it's been around uh, for, for a long time. Uh, we all know the quote from Socrates about how children now love luxury and they have bad manners, and they have contempt for authority and they're lazy and he goes on and on. But, you know, every generation I think looks at the one that follows them or a couple of generations away and wonders how tough or how resilient or how effective they will be as functioning adults. And, and I think most generations are pleasantly surprised with how they ultimately turn out. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, just, just highlight some of those, um, you know, those things that stuck out for you. Sure. So you had a, a gentleman, Frank Myers, uh, speak about his perception as a member of the silent generation. And I was struck by some of the words that he repeated often and that um, he he saw his role as, as kind of just doing what needs to be done and carrying on. And when you listen to Katie Plotkin speak about Generation X, she also talked about just doing what needed to be done quietly being the peacekeepers. And so, you know, there were a couple of those instances where the the, the frame, the, the the value that was expressed was eerily similar. You know, I, I think there's there's a few of those and, I, and maybe a couple of things that, that struck me about the whole series, right? So I, I think there's something to be said for generational cohorts um, becoming shorter. And I think that's a reflection of the pace of change in technology. And if you look at the number of years in each generational cohort, it's it's on a trend line to become shorter and shorter. And 
I think it was also pointed out by several that you spoke with about how each generation is sort of, you know, sandwiched in between two more and they're going to share an, you know, an awful lot of overlap, especially at the fringe edges of the sometimes arbitrary uh, selection of dates. And so these are the kinds of things that uh, make for continuity, I think. And, uh, and you see this sort of seamless blend into the next generation. Well, you're making a great point because, you know, the end of the last year of the baby boomers was 1964. The first year then of Generation X was birth year in 1965. You really can't, you, you, you probably can't find a lot of difference between people who were born a few months apart there. But, and so hence the, you know, the challenge in these generations, but there did, you know, were there, were there any generations for you that, that stuck out as being, I don't know, more prominent than others? I think to, to Katie Plotkin's comment, I think Gen X uh, sometimes gets overlooked a little bit. And a lot of baby boomers, maybe it was because they were larger their children, the millennial generation was the shiny new penny. And Generation X was also a much smaller cohort between baby boomers and millennials. And so, you know, it was sort of traditional for boomers to start leaving about, you know, let's say during some of the housing crisis or some of the great recessions and whatnot. And because their 401ks had been so damaged, they stayed around. And so there's Gen X waiting for their moment to shine in the sun. And the boomers simply did not exit as planned or as Generation X might have hoped. So I, I sometimes know from some of our research or but in conversation, Sometimes Gen X leaders feel like um, they miss, they may be overlooked and they may miss their turn, that millennials will be moved forward simply because there aren't enough Gen X leaders to fill every spot. So they'll pull millennials forward into some of these leadership positions. So, you know, I, I thought I thought that might have been an overlooked one. I was struck by the a comment that Frank made uh, about the silent generation and how much turmoil and how much how much change they went through and massive life-changing events. And I was struck by how much they had to go through in terms of personal change on a, on a world scale. I always, perhaps maybe like others, think, well, the boomers are sort of where it's at. And, you know, we created and did so many things and we, you know, we protest and we made the world a better place and all that. But you think about that, that silent generation and what was done and how optimistic they were. Yeah. And they were a sandwich generation too, between Yep. You know, the self-avowed greatest generation. I mean, how would you like to follow the greatest generation? I, I, no wonder they call them silent because they just sort of. Yeah, what are you going to say to that? Yeah, what are you going to say to that? And then there was the big boomer generation. Um, anything stand out as differences? So a, a comfort with technology varies. And you would expect that, right? As more things, more change, faster, you know, technological um, advances and, and time to adoption and saturation. Uh, I was I was not surprised so much with that, but I was a little surprised about how very starkly different the technology is leveraged on what kind of a device and where are they going for different things. And especially when you get to listening to, let's say, Alex uh, Keaton in the millennial generation talking about how she uses technology. And, you know, she used the example of going out to play and going to somebody's yards. And, and Frank also talked about that, you know, going to call on someone, which is to his point, it's kind of an antiquated term, but he talked about, you know, being outdoors and playing. And, uh, you know, then you had Alex talking about, you know, what she did, being outside and playing and not so much technology driven. And some of the, some of the experiences that people talked about were very, were very similar. 
It was also surprising, not surprising, we see this in some of the research, but the very touching stories about how their uh, generational attitudes were certainly reflective of their parents, depending on which generations their, their parents may have come from. Uh, but the, the family, and particularly parents, are one of the largest shapers of, of adulthood, right? And many people spoke about the experiences that their parents had and talked about their uh, generational experiences as well. And I thought that was very, very terrific. And then you had, you know, Aileen Du talking about her experience, which was a little different as, a, you know, a child of uh, uh, Chinese immigrants and how that had shaped her. So, you know, every generation is going to be shaped by, by several things. They're going to be shaped by world events um, and by technology. And, you know, in, in this particular case, you had Aileen talking about an, an overlay that uh, that she experienced because of her her parents, you know, choice to come uh, to the United States. So I think I think there's something about that. So it's you know world events uh, on the on the stage and and technology and their life stage is what you will see shaping a generation at any given point. Yeah, and that's not surprising because at you know at at our heart it's you know we're all people, right? And so that's correct. You know we're a product of you know you're born knowing nothing. Um, you're a product of what you experience and, you know, whatever that is, wherever you are now, you know, how much of the differences between generations do you think might've just been, they were just different people or maybe people who were poor in across the generations are more similar than those who didn't struggle so much. Any thoughts on that? Yeah. So, so to your point, every generation is sort of shaped by, you know, world events and technology and, and that sort of thing. But even among that, because I know neither one of us would be thinking that all people sort of fit the same box, right? So there's subsets of every generation. So if you had, um, and you're shaped based by the underlying generational cohort, but if you had variables like you were part of a regional subculture, it's very different growing up in the South and in the North, and I've done both. Uh, if you had religious or cultural values here, socioeconomic factors, to your point, if you grew up in a military household like I did, if you had experiences in childhood like losing a parent at an early age, you know, those are going to be things that help shape also the unique you, even though you're part of a generational cohort. Yeah. So these there are similarities and differences, I what I hear you saying, across the generations, a lot of similarities. And the differences are can be personal, but they also can be generational, defined by the times and so forth. You know, I, I don't know if there was any profound moments or profound stories where you just went, "Wow, that 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 really just sort of explains the generation." Did you experience any of that? You know, I listened to Chuck Mitchell talk about his rather unique experience, and for a lot of boomers, the ability to live in or at least for Americans in in that generational cohort to live around the world and to witness world events. So he's in apartheid, in, he's witnessing apartheid in South Africa. He's watching the, the Berlin Wall come down. He's he's looking at the explosion in Chernobyl uh, while working in Moscow. I mean, you just, I don't know, what's, I forget the term, is it zeitgeist? I'm not sure, but he happens to be in these places where something is happening and he has a unique seat watching world history. I just thought that was, and I've known Chuck for a lot of years, but I was struck by some of the things that he's had as unique experiences, particularly for baby boomers, many of whom did not travel internationally or live abroad as he did. And, you know, one of the events that define, you know, kind of a couple of generations and certainly influenced a lot of world, uh, world happenings was uh, 
And it was interesting to hear Katie's story. I, I found on you know her personal side of nine eleven, she was supposed to be there. Yeah, you know, and and so the, you know we think about these events as something that happens elsewhere, these big things that are written in a history book, but those things involve people. <laughs> yeah, and and I think everyone has a story. Yeah, and and that's what makes these podcasts, or made for me anyway, um, so impactful because there are great stories, and if you can hear. The stories again it just makes the, the the generational profile come alive yeah so these these uh, podcasts are available you know wherever you listen to podcasts you should see them as labeled as the generations and these are the six gener the six conversations about uh the various generations with uh, members of each so we've discussed the characteristics of different generations and a little bit about uh, those podcasts next we're going to explore the impact of the differences on human capital we'll take a short break and be right back. What does the future of work mean for your employees? How will your company navigate ESG? Will there be a global recession? At the Conference Board, our experts translate the latest research and economic analysis into insights and real-time problem solving for your organization. Membership at the Conference Board provides your team with an assortment of knowledge from economics, marketing and communications, ESG, public policy, and human capital. As a member, you'll have access to our center experts, member-exclusive events, data and benchmarking tools, and peer sharing that will help you understand the present and shape the future. Consider becoming a Conference Board member today by visiting www.conference-board.org. Welcome back to CEO Perspectives. I'm your host, Steve Odlin from the Conference Board, and I'm joined today by Rebecca Ray, the Human Capital Center leader of the conference board. Okay, so Rebecca, you're, you're a human capital expert. You know, you've been researching this a long time. Now you have a situation where you've got potentially these probably five generations. I don't think you have generation alpha in the workplace yet, but but probably five generations at once under you know maybe the same roof in a company. How do you how do you manage that? I would say probably the key here is flexibility. And I think companies can find themselves initiating things or putting things in place that they think will appeal in particular to one generation or another. I think usually when you improve the offering for any employees, it generally lifts the the impact for all employees. So thinking about a range of benefits and then offer them to all and see who needs what uh, is probably a better way to go. I think Trying to solve for one generation is usually not a winning strategy. You know, I I, th I think a lot of what we heard on all these podcasts talk about sort of this technology shift, uh, the way people work, the way people learn, the way people leverage the technology, the way they find um, some of the very same similar things that that all generations want, uh, but with with some variation. And I think periodically renewing and reviewing processes and HR practices that perhaps don't adequately address the changing profile of workers writ, writ large. So for example, you know, you heard, um, you know, the comments around uh, millennials and Gen Z being uh, less risk averse, more uh, particularly millennials being one, wanting to try to be entrepreneurial, to take risks. And so that's going to require sometimes some very flexible working arrangements. 
and thinking about how you might investigate, for example, split shifts, even in a manufacturing environment where there's usually a little bit less flexibility, or how you think about combining work or how you allow people to have flexible hours or schedules or things that you know can can support maybe a, a, an independent worker who wants that kind of freedom and, and lifestyle. And especially in the latest generations into the workplace, and yes, Elk is not there yet, but um, you have people who are perhaps delaying marriage, children, home buying, those sorts of things. And so they have fewer encumbrances and they want that kind of flexibility. You, you hear uh, some of the, the generations of millennials or Gen Z, they want to do things that excite them and attract them. And so thinking about what could you do that would help them feel as though they are always learning something new, they're always being developed. Um, I think, um, you know, Gen Z wants safety and security, but they also want the freedom of maybe the ability to stretch way out on that bungee cord uh, and, and go try new things, knowing that the bungee cord won't break. You know, when you listen to Frank in the silent generation, you know, he talked about, we got to go to work. It, you know, we need the money. We got to eat. I got to take care of my family. It was a job because I needed the money. It was more, not entirely, but, you know, it was more of that attitude. And what you're talking about with the millennials and Gen Zers is, you know, I want more freedom to invent. I want this, I want this flexibility. I want to take more risk. Is that because, there is less of a risk around money, you know, that they're not worrying about being able to eat, you know, there's social safety nets. What is it about the earlier generations that made them less maybe risk tolerant? Sure. I think part of it was the era in which they grew up. So I listened to Frank and he talked about one of the things I wrote down is he said, so carrying on, that's all. And it was a more straightforward approach to here's how your life will unfold. And in that generation, I think people had strong cultural expectations. They would, you know, probably go to high school at least. Um, they would, uh, and in, this, in Frank's case, he served, you know, during World War II, um, but that he would marry and have children and find a job doing something. But he made the point about his father having a job. And then his father walked the streets of whatever the, the closest town was until he got a job and then pretty much stayed there. And he talked about a lot of men in that generation. You know, they, they found a job and they just stayed there and they were in the warehouse for 35 years and then whatever. But he started talking about being able, his generation, being a little bit more able uh, to, to have more lateral thinking and to have other options. And, you know, he did talk about the fact, you know, he had um, women in his life where the expectation was that, of course, you would marry and have children. And that was just, I think there were less things for them. We still see, you know, vestiges of that now. But I think life was much more prescribed. If you were life path was much more prescribed. And so it was fulfilling that. And he made a contrast between himself and his father in terms of the expectation around getting an education and getting a job and being able to um, you know, support the family. And he, Frank talked about this was a career. That was the first time I'd heard that kind of articulated quite that way. And if you if you look at, you know, they had a job, if you were in the greatest generation, you had a career, perhaps if you were in the silent generation, and if you were in the baby boomer uh, generation, you would have multiple careers or arcs of several times. Now, it wasn't as common then to change careers slash jobs as, as commonly. Um, but in those days, in, in that day and age, the baby boomers, I think, were the first to really start to think about why does it have to be 
a single career? Or why does it have to look just like this? So as you think about and reflect on, you know, these six generations, the podcasts of these six generations, what advice do you have for CHROs specifically in the workplace to deal with them? Just before we go there, could I pause for a moment? We haven't touched very much on, on Generation Alpha. And I was struck by your ability to have a conversation with a nine-year-old and how forward-thinking, how articulate, how uh, multilingual, world-aware, ability to travel. Just, I, I love when she referred to olden days music, but okay, I, you know, that was like yesterday. But I just thought, what an amazing young woman. She's nine years old. She's going to be 10. And I thought, if that's the future, we're going to be in good hands. She was I thought that was great. You know, it, it is interesting, though, when, when you talk to children, you know, even younger than that, they have a view of the world. And, I, I, and I, I just, you know, I think a lot of it's the media and access to, you know, social media and so forth. But but there's a broad, it just seems to be a broader awareness than earlier generations. And uh, they just they just seem to be so much wisdom, you know, with so few years. Didn't you love her questions about what will they say about this generation in a hundred years? And she's the only one that came up with questions like, have you gotten an electric vehicle yet? Are you, do you have oil companies? <laughs> Are you comfortable with virtual reality? I mean, she just rattled these things off and I thought, wow. And the others were more reflective of, well, I hope we'll be remembered for this or for that. And hers was really framed around um, global impact and, you know, changing the world and, and doing something about it, as opposed to when Chuck talked about it and he says he hopes that they didn't say baby boomers uh, dropped the ball, that we we just didn't do what we could have when we had the opportunity before we gave up and conformed. So I just I thought I just found that question fascinating. I'm glad you had it in each podcast. So go so go back to the, uh, you know, your CHRO. What what insights do you derive and what advice do you have for them? Sure. So I, I would mention um, that we just had a brand new report come out on Generation Z, and I would recommend that for, for folks who want to dive a little bit more specifically on that. And then a few years ago, we uh, we did some millennial leaders versus Gen X leaders versus baby boomers who were leaders and what they had in common and what was different. So those two sort of bookends, it gives you the, at least these four uh, in the workplace. And I'm sure, you know, in f- future years, we'll be writing about alpha. And I think Evelyn will be part of that book. So, <laughs> so you know, just I'm going to mention a couple of things um, because our time is 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 not you know forever. Um, but I think uh, let's say we looked at some core employee uh, elements here, like recruiting or developing or engaging or retaining. Okay, and where there might be some differences across uh, the different generations. So. I would say let's let's just take a uh, an example here. So if you're trying to uh, fill positions and you're looking to recruit more senior folks, I think uh, more experienced workers. I think you need to sort of begin to tap in to attract you know older workers. The desire to create a legacy, to mentor others, to help with knowledge transfer, and to also figure out if, when you're looking at retaining boomers, you know. Take a look at the options you can offer them to prepare them either for a, their own uh, exit ramp, if you will. There is, I recognize there's sometimes uh, pension laws and a variety of things that 
keep people sort of locked in or they have to be permanently separated from an organization. But think about what you could do. Think about what you could do for someone in the last few years of their working life to prepare for a second act so that they could either do something different at your organization or join a, a not-for-profit or get their teaching credentials or think about a career change. That would be, and, and there's some companies that are known for that, and that can be a big draw for those who aren't quite there yet, but would love to have the infrastructure to help. The, the one other thing I'd say about boomers is, I think sometimes it's easy to say, well, they don't need to be developed, or they don't need to have training, or they don't need to be, you know, brought up to speed on something. And I think, I think that's a, a, a mistake. Some of the fastest growing adopters of technology are boomers. And so making sure that on a personal and a professional uh, level, that they are continued to, um, to be developed in, in that way. You know, you're making a good point about technology because you always think about, well, Gen Z or millennials as being the tech generation. And, yeah. But that tech was invented in the, in the uh, baby boom generation, and they had to go from a standing start you know, to adopting and, and dealing with all this since they weren't, they weren't native to this. And so they, they've shown an incredible amount of resilience, haven't they? I think so. I think so. And the other thing to remember, I think, too, here is that whatever the technology was, which when we look back now, it might be, oh, my gosh, you know, you put a man on the moon, you had basically, you know, the, a, a calculator is about the power that you had. That didn't come from nowhere. And you're exactly right. So you have to think about baby boomers. And sometimes it isn't necessarily every factual piece of information, but it is about having gone through multiple cycles and history tends to repeat itself. And they make for great stabilizers, if you will, in a workforce. I remember, you know, before the pandemic, you know, where we had to throw a switch and everybody went from fully in the office to fully remote. That's not exactly correct, but, but you know, generally speaking. Um, before then, we had done some research on that, you know, what generations would be most accepting of a remote environment. And I remember us concluding, or or the generations telling us anyway, that it's the millennials and Gen Z that would be most comfortable with this. After this experience, in fact, we're finding that it's baby boomers who are most comfortable with it. So it is interesting too that we had, and so that struck me uh, as a big aha because, you know, sometimes you do this research and they tell you one thing and you say, oh, okay, that. But but you know CHROs have to really be nimble in in how to deal with this because it's you know what they say and what they do are two maybe two different things but times change you know on and they can pivot overnight as an example with the pandemic your thoughts on all that well no question I mean we we proved that we can be nimble and we can pivot it's a question of how many times do you have to pivot within you know a given time frame how many 100 year events can you handle in a 3 month period and so it, it it's a it's a matter of exhaustion and it's a matter of recovery time i think if it's always a crisis or always a challenge or always you know expecting more from people that is exhausting after a while and i and i do think that that's one of the underlying factors for the challenge we have with mental health. And I remember you asking the question, you know, is your generation just more open to it or they have more instances of, of mental health challenges? And, and I'm not sure, uh, I, I'm not sure that there's an answer to this. You can look at a few things like how many calls made to crisis centers, that sort of thing. That's certainly on the uptick. But certainly this is a, a couple of generations now in the workplace. They are much more open to talking about it, much more aware of it, certainly. 
And, and I think when they are in greater numbers in leadership positions, because millennials are, but as, as Gen Z moves into that, you'll see more of an emphasis, I think, on making sure that those conversations are had and making sure that people get the help they need. But once the stigma is removed and, you know, people are not are, are, are not tainted by it, then you can begin to address some of the core issues. But and I, I you know, I think that's what they were saying is, is starting to happen, which is a positive. Um, any other advice or thoughts for CHROs and CEOs as it relates to generations? Yeah, you know, I'll just mention I'll just mention a couple more. I already touched on, you know, Gen X. I think uh, millennials. Uh, need to uh, will respond better to flexible work arrangements. And to your point, um, there is certainly the technology that can be leveraged, but I think they see it more as a tool, not a not a not a magnet, right? So it's very important for the social aspects of this. I think they want the continual development, and it's not just continual development in their professional area. It's also in areas of interest, like millennials will probably come and say. I'd really like to master, you know, how to be uh, more conversant and use chat GPT in the workplace. Okay. So that may not be part of their core skill set, but it may be something that's on a parallel track that they want to um, want to embrace. And, and if I think about Gen Z, I, I think one of the things that's very important to them, Gen Z wants safety. And so reevaluating starting salaries and increasing pay transparency uh, will will appeal to them. They need to understand what the career path is going to be and what the compensation starts to look like and the opportunities for development and advancement. And they are going to resonate with that partly because, you know, that this is a generation that's kind of come into the workplace during COVID, um, rising inflation. They're watching their buying power and their opportunities to get a leg up, if you will, on the cycle of life here. Um, begin to wane. And so I think it's important to make sure that that's articulated and pay transparency is very important to them. And then the last thing I would say about Gen Zs is give them as much control as you feel you can as an organization about how they work, where they work, when they work, and taking a look at different ways to get jobs done. And that will appeal uh, to, uh, to Gen Z. Rebecca Ray, thanks so much for joining us today. You know, Steve, it was my pleasure. And thanks to all of you for listening in to CEO Perspectives. Every week, I'll be joined by a prominent thought leader to provide insights on the issues of our time. We'll cover the leading topics in human capital, geopolitics, economics, and more. Please share CEO Perspectives with all of your colleagues, all of your friends, all of your family, every generation that you know. I know they're going to want to listen. I'm Steve Odlin, and this series has been brought to you by the Conference Board. You have been listening to CEO Perspectives, a podcast by the Conference Board.